0: So, when we, when we look at this parable, the first word that, that I think of that comes to mind for me is fairness, is what's fair? Uh, what, what should somebody get for work that they do or for effort that they put forth and things like that? And as we look at this parable, we see that, uh, that Jesus has an interesting take on fairness and what that looks like in the kingdom of heaven. I want to share with you a story from my own life about fairness. Because when you think about fairness, if you have a sibling, anybody in here have a sibling, a brother or a sister? Have you ever said this to one of your parents before based on some kind of interaction with your sibling? That's not fair. Fairness is core and central to the way that we view the world not, world, not only as children, but as adults as well. So I want to tell you a story about me and my brothers. It has more to do with them than it does to me. So um, when I was uh, about, I don't know, I was in my early 20s, and I, I went back home to, to visit my family. And at the time, they lived in Michigan, and I was sitting at the, uh, the, the counter, the, the little island in the kitchen. Um, Cause that's where we would we would hang out. We didn't hang out in the living room. We usually hang out around there. And it was just me and my two younger brothers, Blake and Micah. And we were telling stories and tell, telling stories from from what it was like growing up. And uh, Micah, the youngest one, he said, "Hey, man, you remember that time we were on a road trip and uh, you drank that apple juice, but it wasn't really apple juice because I had peed in that cup." So, let me tell you something. My dad, my dad was here last time I preached, so uh, I didn't share any of these stories, but I'm going to share one now. When we, were on, when we were on road trips, long road trips, uh, three boys in the car, and uh, we had to pee a lot. And my dad, he wasn't one to stop very often, so um, we had to pee in, in available empty containers, receptacles of some kind. So, what happened was Micah... He always has had the smallest bladder. The guy's got to pee all the time. So he peed in a cup, and that cup previously had apple juice in it. And if you've ever held up, hopefully you've never done this, but if you would ever to hold up apple juice and pee in a cup, especially a cup that had a red tint to it, it would look really similar. So as the trip went on, a few hours went by, and... Blake said, hey, anything to drink in here? And my mom said, yeah, there's some apple juice right there. And he took a drink. He said, that that tastes kind of funny. So he took another little drink (laughs) to check. He's like, this apple juice doesn't taste right. And then Micah was over there in the car in our little station wagon just just laughing. So they were telling this story. We were reliving this story and laughing. And the thing... The thing you need to know about Blake is Blake really wants things to be fair. This was years ago that that happened. Does it matter to Blake? What do you think? No. So, he's laughing and laughing. And what brought the story up is guess what they were drinking that day? Apple juice. That's right. Apple juice at the table. So, we're talking, talking. Micah leaves. He's laughing, and he's got his couple apple juice right there. And this is how Blake tells it. He says, as soon as Micah went downstairs, I ran into the bathroom, and I looked at how much was in the cup, and I dumped it out, and I peed into it, and lo and behold, I had the exact amount of pee I needed to fill that cup to exactly where it was of Micah's apple juice. So Micah comes back up, they're talking and everything, and he drinks the apple juice. And he knows instantly what happened. And Blake says, I got you back. It's only fair. That's a funny story. I don't know what happened after that. I can't remember. There was probably things thrown, wrestling, maybe some of that kind of stuff. But Micah was a lot tougher than Blake, so Blake probably just ran. this isn't just true for kids. Uh, this, is, this is real life for us. We're constantly concerned about fairness. We're looking at, uh, did somebody get a promotion at work? and it, Is it fair? Sh- shouldn't have I gotten that promotion? I worked this many years in the company. They only worked this year. Or I was way more honest or hardworking or diligent to them. That race should have been, belonged to me. Or hey, they bombed us, so we should bomb them back right? All kinds of ways that we think about and look at fairness in the real world as adults. So, there's two questions that I want us to wrestle with and think about as we look at this passage that I think this passage is addressing here in Scripture. And we're going to have, we're going to put those questions on the screen. Those questions are, what does fairness look like in the kingdom of heaven? And the second one that follows it in a way is what? how do we recognize the kingdom of heaven? What does fairness look like in the kingdom, and how do we recognize the kingdom of heaven? So when Jesus starts this parable in Matthew chapter 20 verse 1, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. So. Remember I told you a few minutes ago that a third of what Jesus says in the Gospels were parables. And those parables usually start with this phrase, that the kingdom of heaven is like. This is really important just for us to, to make sure we can sort of think about the frame of mind that Jesus was in when he was doing this. He, see, the kingdom of heaven is this incredibly expansive thing, this idea. And really, another word, a simile for the kingdom of heaven that we might use is the truest thing, the closest thing that we can understand as reality, that God is the ultimate reality. And so, His kingdom is going to be the closest expression of what is real, what is actually real and has weight and substance to us as human beings, as eternal creations, souls that will never pass away connecting to an eternal God. And so, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like we better be paying close attention because what he's going to do is he's going to paint us a picture. And it's not going to tell us everything about the kingdom of heaven. It's not going to tell us everything about who God is. And one of, one of the unfortunate things that we've done in life our philosophy, and our ideology, and our theology of how we look at this book right here is we try to cram everything into one picture or one story. And so every time somebody gets up, if they're not able to articulate that one story the way you've heard it the most times, then somehow we think that's not what the gospel is. But this is a third of what Jesus did, was paint pictures, was paint parables for us to see what does it look like like? What does what this kingdom behave like? How can we recognize it when we see it? How can we take part in it? And so, he paints this picture for us. The kingdom of heaven is like. And he doesn't use all of these grand, beautiful vocabulary and uh, grand theological terms. He gives us a story about people trying to get some work. Because most of us can relate to that. Most of us have or will have to get a job at some point in time, unless you got a sugar mama or a sugar daddy. <laughs> Even then, if you have kids, hey, you're going to work harder than you ever did before at a job you can punch in and punch out of. That's the title of this sermon, by the way. I like it. Punching the clock in the kingdom of heaven. About workers. So, the kingdom of heaven is like, like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So we've got this story rooted in the ancient Near East, and we've we got this rich dude waking up in his big old Middle Eastern mansion with his beautiful silk robes on, and he wakes up really early, and he looks out on his big vineyard and he's like, I'm going to go get some folks to work in this vineyard today. He probably already has a ton of people, I'm guessing lined up for the day. But, you know, this master, he decides he's going to go out there and find some more folks to work in his vineyard because he's got so much work to do. He's got lots of things for people to, uh, to work for them to enjoy and to earn a day's wage. And the first thing that we see here is that this master of this house, spoiler alert, that's a reference to God, right? Uh, He goes out early in the morning to go find people to work in his vineyard. He's initiating the relationship. So while we were yet unemployed, Christ came to give us a job. So that's the first thing that we see here is when we think about this idea, what does fairness look like in the kingdom of heaven? I'll give you another spoiler alert. That question is not actually the right question. We're going to follow that question until we come up with a better one, because this is a parable we're looking at. I'm not just going to give it to you straight. That's too easy for you, right? We need to wrestle with this for a minute. So it initiates the opportunities. That's what fairness does in the kingdom of heaven. The second thing, let's keep reading in this verse here. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day which is uh, it's a good wage that's a living wage for those those workers it's what anyone would expect if from a kind and fair master of a house or of a plot of land and it says after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day he sent them into the vineyard but he didn't stop there did he this this guy this really wealthy guy, he could have hired an employment firm. He could have sent his foreman out. He could have sent other people to go and hire some folks. Or he could have said, hey, you want to work for me? You show up at the first hour of the workday, and if you're ready then, then you could come work for me. If not, I ain't go fool around with you. But what we see about this guy, this master of the house, this guy who has these incredibly large vineyards with plenty to do and plenty to work, is he goes all day long. He grinds out. He's indefatigable, meaning he doesn't quit. And what we see is all day long, he's going out looking for the lost. He's going out looking for the idle. He's going out looking for those who are wandering around in the marketplace with nothing to do. Have you ever been in that position? Have you ever been lost? Have you ever lost your way or you just been standing around idle? I mean, literally or metaphorically. Can you relate to these guys who are out here with nothing to do? Jesus can. God can. In this parable, we see that he can relate to somebody who didn't make it up at the first hour of the day, who maybe they had a really long bus route before they could get to the marketplace and so they couldn't get there at the same time as everybody else. Or maybe they were taking care of a sick relative that morning so they couldn't get there. Or maybe they partied too late and they had a hangover and they were nursing that hangover so they didn't make it until the third, fourth hour of the day. But guess what? The master of the house doesn't care. He wants people working in his vineyard. He's got a big old vineyard, he's got lots to do, and he's got lots and lots of money. And so, he wants people out there. Can you relate to that person that's not ready, who's not on on third base? Have you ever been in that situation where you just needed somebody? You just needed somebody to say, hey, I got something meaningful for you to do. I got some work for you to do that's going to help you feed your family, that's going to help you feed your soul. Well, the master of the house, the master of this grand world house that we all live in that's the way he thinks. That's what, those are the kind of people that he's looking for. Yes, he's looking for those people. He's looking for the early bird that catches the worm and everybody who's got it all lined up and figured out, but he's also looking for those who he's got to come out again and again and again to find them. If you're that kind of person, God's looking for you. Maybe you're actually looking for a job right now. Maybe you are unemployed. God's got a job for you. He's got a job for you in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven ain't too different from the kingdom of earth. Here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, God's got a job for you. Turn to your other neighbor and say, it might not be what you think it is. So. The first two things about fairness in the kingdom of heaven. This fairness, this idea, it initiates the opportunities, and it's tireless, and never quits. The third thing is, it's generous. It's generous. Let's look back at the text here. Look at it with me. And we read in verse six, it says, "And about the verse six, and about the 11th hour he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, "Why do you stand here idle all day?" Whew, when I hear that question, a bunch of feelings that I don't like come up in me. A bunch of scary thoughts. Have you ever been caught in that position where somebody says, why haven't you been doing what you were supposed to do? Or how did you get into this situation where you're just standing around and you stop being productive? Why are you like this? And you expect the master to say, get up and get to work. Like, why aren't you here? You need to go home, you need to get your stuff straight, and you need to get back here first thing in the morning. I don't care what your excuses are. Or maybe you've said or thought that about somebody else. You've seen somebody on the street, and you thought, why don't they just get a job? Why are they just standing around with a sign? Why are they just moping around? Why are they walking around with a bag? Why don't they go apply themselves and get a job? But that's not what the master of the house does. That's not what he says. He says, so why, why have you been standing around all day? And they respond, well, because nobody's hired us. And he could say something like, well, that's because you weren't here. I was out here early in the morning. You weren't there. But that's not what he says. He says, y- y- you can imagine the sky, so it's, 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 a, it's a day job, and there's no you know, electricity or anything like that. So, when you think about his, his vineyard, and it's the 11th hour of the day, that means the sun is setting. And in an hour, it's going to be too dark to work. And yet, even then, even in the 11th hour, in the last inning, in the final quarter, in overtime, this master of the house is still out looking for people to join him in his work in his vineyard. That is a generous guy. That is somebody who I would like to work for, somebody who is out there looking for anybody left who needs something productive to do with their life. And that's what we see about this master right here, that he's out looking for those folks. He's not saying any of those types of things that we might have uh, thought about or seen or heard or have been said to us. And so he brings them out, he's a generous guy. Generosity. Does that sound like fairness? Generosity. The fourth, the fourth thing that fairness looks like in the kingdom of heaven is it's at the master's discretion. Let's look back at the text to see what that means. So, we look and we see in verse 10, days over. Oh wait, I'm sorry, verse nine. No, let's go back to verse eight. No, no, I'm just kidding, verse eight. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. So lines up all the people, and the foreman, he tells him to go find the people that have only been working for maybe an hour total uh, and put them at the front of the line to receive their wages from the day. And then the people who worked earliest, started earliest in the morning, he puts them at the end of the line. And it says in verse 9, And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. So the ones who'd only worked one hour got a full day's pay. And then we read in verse 10, now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. So they thought, oh, snap, did you see that? He just paid those guys who only worked an hour a full day's wage. That means we're about to get paid, y'all. We're about to get so much money. Because that would only be fair, right? If they get that much, then we should get this much, not quite. So." in the second half of verse 10, it says, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us. Equal sounds like fair. Who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. I can empathize with these guys. Could you empathize with them? You worked all day, and you see some, some dude or some girl coast in and work one hour, and then they get the same paycheck as you? Man, that would make me hot. I would be upset about that situation. So he replied to them, though. He replied to the one who spoke up, apparently. He said to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for Denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity?" And then Jesus all of a sudden ends the parable, and he says this to close his parable. So the last will be first, and the first last. So what happens usually in a parable is we're hearing this story. And we're like, oh yeah, I get this story. Okay, this story is make, makes sense. And then at some point in the story, you're like, wait, wait, that, that's not how it's supposed. That's not, that's not fair. That's not the way things should work in the world. And if at any point in this parable, that's where you've stuck, then that's a great place to be because that's where God's trying to crack open your false sense of reality and let the kingdom of God start to leak in there and begin to pour in there so that the way you think about how you live in this world can begin to change, or change further, or to amen a change that you've already been experiencing in your walk with God. You see, these parables are not to tell us about some reality that's far, far away in another galaxy. but. God is here using ordinary life to point us to, to point us to what life is supposed to be like, like in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Let your kingdom come on earth as it already is in heaven, right? So this fairness in the kingdom of heaven, it's not up to us. It's up to that, the master's discretion. It's up to God's discretion. And, and that does a couple of things. That frees us up. That frees us up by having to live by the rules that the world has set for us. When I was uh, 21, I was still finishing my bachelor's degree. I'd, I'd worked often uh, full-time and gone to school part-time. And at the time, I was a youth pastor interim, which just means that like I was an intern. And they couldn't find a youth pastor, and they said, can you like fill in and do some lessons and stuff like that? And so, I was this youth pastor interim at this church, and uh, this guy I had known from high school from the same church, he was there in town, and he'd just finished up college. He had an engagement ring on this just gorgeous, blonde, blue-eyed, tall girl, and he had a job at a bank, and he said to me, he said, hey, Jamin, how you doing? I said, I'm doing all right. And uh, he said, well, what's going on in your life? And so, I told him "What you know, kind of what I was doing, and he said, oh, you're kind of behind, aren't you? I was like, oh, all right, I mean, maybe you were thinking that, but you got to say it out loud. I mean, dang. Up until that point, I hadn't really thought, that thought hadn't occurred to me that I was far behind. I was like, man, I'm living, I'm living life and uh, God's teaching me all this stuff, and I'm uh, balancing these different things that I'm doing, and I'm getting to pour into these teenagers' lives, and they're driving me crazy, but I love them at the same time. And this guy, you know, is a church guy. I'm sure he's a Christian. He looked at my life, and he said, hey, you're, you're behind, aren't you? And that hurt. It hurt really bad. But, uh, but as I reflected on it, I said, we're... We're not judging reality by the same standards, by the same metrics. We're, we're not prioritizing the same things. And you know what? I'm pretty okay with that, that he said that, that he thought that about my life. Now, unfortunately for him, as he pursued his path, his life fell apart really quickly. He was divorced in a couple of years. He lost his job. He's, there's a lot of bad stuff that happened in his life. Now, that I'm not saying is because of any particular thing he believed or thought. I'm just saying, like, you can be feeling like you're first, and you can end up last pretty quick by the world's standards and the world's metrics, because that might be exactly where he needed to get to before he could actually start progressing in life, in the kingdom of God. If the kingdom of God is really the ultimate reality, then we can be moving forward and really feel like we're accomplishing a lot and still be on first base, and still have barely started according to this kingdom of heaven that Jesus is showing us here in this parable. And so, that that question, that first question, what does fairness look like in the kingdom of heaven? That it, it initiates, and it's tireless, it doesn't quit, and that it's generous. And, lastly, it's up to the master's discretion, which means at the end of the day, it's not me. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to convince God of what I have earned and what type of reward I should get for that. Because you know what? When we really think about it, God knows everything about our lives. He knows why the people that showed up early in the morning were able to. And he knows why the people that were there at midday were there at midday. He knows why the people that didn't show up until the last hour of the day showed up. He knows what's fair. He knows what's right. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop at what's fair. So it's, you know, it's, it's easy for us to believe that we have too little and others have too much, but we see here the master, what he's saying to these guys, he's like, hey. You might not get what you want, but you can get what you need. No, I'm sorry. I, I love that song. I, I don't even know who sings that song. I just know it from like car commercials and stuff like that. A bunch of people just said it. Somebody say it aloud. Rolling Stones, yeah, of course. That's why I like it. They're good. So, we've worked our way through this parable but if you're really thinking hard about this parable, you think about if this was really the way somebody operated, you're probably thinking, especially if you're in business, that's a bad business plan. If you're somebody who like who leads from the heart like me, you're like, "Yes, that's awesome." But some of you who are very practical and ad- analytical are thinking, "No, no, no, that's a very bad business plan." Because then all those people are going to go back and they're going to tell their friends, hey look, we can get a whole day's work, Let, look, let's start out over here at this other dude's vineyard, and then about the eleventh hour, let's mosey back onto the marketplace and wait for this dude to show up, and we could get almost two day, days' wages in one day, because he's that generous, right? Or you know what? I'm just going to chill, like I'm just going to watch TV in, in, my, uh, in my mud-roomed house here. And I'm going to watch TV all day, I'm going to watch Oprah, I'm going to watch MMA fights, whatever you like to do, March Madness in March, because they, they did have that back then. Y'all don't know, but they did. Look that up later. Uh, <laughs> I hope nobody looks that up later. But yeah, so you're looking and you're thinking, this is a, this is a bad business plan. And guess what? I'm not going to give you any rebuttals to that. This is a parable, and it's meant to challenge what we think are the best ways to live life, because God says it's not. Otherwise, I wouldn't have to tell you these parables. If you already got it figured out, if you already knew that conventional wisdom was the right way to live and could get you everything you needed, then I wouldn't be telling you this parable. So. I want you to take some time, think about those questions. If it's such a bit bad business plan, why is God laying this out for us in this parable? Listen to this quote from this guy named Robert Kappen. He wrote a book on the parables. He said, with Jesus, the device of parabolic utterance, so fancy is used not to explain things to people's satisfaction, but to call attention to the unsatisfactoriness of all their previous explanations and understandings. So, this parable isn't here to give you all the answers, but it is here to give you better questions. So... If we think about fairness again, let's go back to it. Fairness is kind of the goal of a good life. Like if you could be called fair, that would be a good thing. If somebody said about you in all your dealings you were fair, that would be a good label. You would like that label. And that maybe when we think about the teachings that we receive on Sunday mornings, we think, I want to know how to get from point A to point B. I want to know how to move from hell to heaven. I want to know how to move from unsaved to saved. I want to know how to move from not righteous or sinner to saint. I want you to show me in 30 to 45 minutes on a Sunday morning." point A to point B, and many preachers are happy to oblige in that respect, and it's not even a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. And if we were to think about fairness, if we were to think about fairness like, just I just want to be fair. I just want to live my life in a fair way. That's not a bad aspiration. That's a great aspiration. Probably none of us could say that that is true of us, because we're often more concerned about what's fair to us. than to anybody else. But I think if we were to look at that and we were sort of imagine it as a straight line that we need the answers to get from unsaved to saved, or from hell to heaven, or to know what it looks like to uh, hit this moral mark in our life, I think we would actually not be getting very far in our journey. I think that's a really slow way to progress in the kingdom of heaven, in the ultimate reality that we as Christians believe in that is invading our sense of reality that we have right now. There's a a children's book by an author named Madeline Lee and some people would say she's a Christian author, but she would not like that title. She would say she is a Christian who writes books. And she wrote this book called A Wrinkle in Time. A Wrinkle in Time. They made a movie about it recently, and Oprah's in it, just so you know. And in this story, this girl named Meg and her little brother and her friend, they go on this incredible journey. And they realize that the the world and the dimension that they're familiar with is not the only one out there and that their parents who are scientists somehow got caught up in this, in this other world. And there's a point where Meg meets these strange creatures and, and the allegory of what these strange creatures are is angels. And they're talking about how they're going to be traveling through these universes. And. They're talking about doing this crazy type of traveling that has to do with Einstein's theory of relativity, which I'm not going to attempt to break down for you in any way, shape, or form right now for many reasons, first of which I can't do it. Um, And they're trying to explain to Meg about how they're going to travel. She's like, it's going to take a really long time to get there. And they're explaining that there's not just three dimensions, but there's four and even five dimensions, and that we're going to be traveling through this process called tesseract or tesserating or something like that. And at one point, this angel or this, this, this creature that represents an angel looks at Meg and says this, and the quote is in your bulletin, says, a straight line is not the shortest distance between two points. And she means that actually literally. That sometimes, just trying to get there straight, like, just tell it to me straight, pastor. Just tell me what I need to know so I can go back out there and apply it to the way this world works. It's not a fast way to get you anywhere in the kingdom of heaven, but actually, we oftentimes have to get bumped off of our tracks and move in a different way, not just back and forth, but off to the sides. We have to get confused. We have to have questions that we do not know the answers to, because if we get the answers to those questions too fast, we leave a lot of people, we leave a lot of ideas, and we leave a lot of God behind. The Bible's full of stories and we need every one of them. It's not one story. There are a lot of people telling a story. If we only have one narrow little way to see this, we miss out on a whole lot. So, we think about fairness. So if that's not it, then, then what does it look like? Fairness would be an eye for an eye. Or a tooth for a tooth, right? So let's see what Jesus says in Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. We'll have it on the screen here. Luke 6, 32 through 36. It says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. What's the word for that, what he just described right there? What is it? Fair. That's fair, right? If somebody loves you, you love them back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful." So I think the question then has to change. The question instead of, what's fair? I think the question is, what is good? What's good? And each of us, we have, we have our own tiny little piece of real estate. We're the master of our own little domain. Whether it's just your heart, are you generous with that? Or is it the actual money that you make and the space that you're living in? We all have an opportunity to act out not just fairness, but goodness. When we do that, I think, I think that what we are seeing is the kingdom of heaven. When we move beyond fairness to goodness, the kingdom of heaven is near us, is coming upon us, can be seen, that those deeds, they flash a light, like a flashlight right on the kingdom of heaven. I think when we stop short of fairness, it's still there, but it can't be seen. So. If the best question, or the better question, is what's good, let me ask you. Let me think to myself as well. Do do I initiate in the ways that I can? Do I wait for somebody else to do it? Do I wait for somebody else to speak those kind and loving words? Do I wait for somebody else to make the changes in our, uh, the way that we see things, the way that we uh, vote, or the way that we uh, go about addressing the needs in our world? Do I wait for somebody else to do those things, to speak those things? Am I generous with, with my heart, with what God has given me? My, my finances, my job, my ideas. Do I leave it up to God to judge who deserves it and who doesn't? Who deserves the reward? Who deserves the good things? Or do I try to parcel that out myself and decide who's worthy of, of my time and my resources and what I have to offer what God gave me as a gift? Do I give up? Am I tireless? Do I know that my king has all the resources needed and so I can work at this day in and day out at all times of the day? Or do I say, ah, it's always gonna be like that. They're always gonna be that way. This situation's never gonna change. This passage shows us how to recognize the kingdom of heaven. And it goes beyond fairness to goodness. And it goes beyond worrying about what rewards we will receive to leaving that in the hands of a God who has everything. And so, when we think about these actions, when we think about all those unanswered questions that this parable brings up, can we think about this as well? Can we think that maybe our reward how much money we make how much status we achieve in this life isn't actually the reward we think it is it won't provide the satisfaction that we think it will but but maybe what's the most satisfying is to go to work in the kingdom of heaven maybe you will find so much satisfaction living in a good way not a fair way but a good way that Your priorities will shift, and somebody who you looked at before and said, they are so far ahead of me, you'll just see them as somebody else who you can invite into the most satisfying work, the most truest reality that you've ever known, being that kingdom of heaven. And as we we close on this passage, uh, it's about workers. And it's about people who need jobs, and there's a lot of people that need jobs in our city and who aren't paid fairly for their work. And I want us to remember and think about those people right now that are, that are looking for jobs or that are unemployed and are looking for employment and can't find it. The, the woman who works cleaning over 40 hours a week, is cheated out of her overtime. I'll tell you the name of one of them. I look here. Nope, that's not the one. Uh, what's her name? Emma. She's working at University of Memphis as a, as a cleaning lady, and she gets there at 4 a.m., and she has to park in the furthest parking lot away because it's the cheapest, because she only makes like 9 25 an hour, and she works over 40 hours a week, but it's not enough to take care of her family. And so at 4 a.m. in the morning, she parks on the furthest parking lot from where she has to work and clean, and she walks in the dark as a woman on a campus where things can happen. It's dangerous. Yet she's lobbying with an organization called Workers Interfaith Network, Workers Interfaith Network Win, and they have uh, achieved some raises. in in their wages, but what everybody needs in our city and in our world is a living wage, and they don't have it. And so, I just want us to pray for those people, and I want us to also be thinking about and we're, we're building a lot of things right now, a lot of things behind the scenes with our Mercy and Justice team and how we can more and more engage the city so you don't have to come up with everything from scratch or anything. But I want you to think about it. Do you have any ideas? Is there a prayer time that you want to set up or you do you want to write lobbyists? Do you want to do uh, uh, any of those types of activities or other activities to impact this? Because I think that's an example of the goodness of the kingdom of heaven. It's a spiritual reality that manifests in a physical world. So there's a, a prayer on the screen that we're going to say together, and then Drew's going to come up and lead us in communion. And uh, I don't think I printed myself a copy of it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the, the part that's not in bold, and we'll say the other part together if you would pray with me for workers. We pray for those who are injured on the job and feel forgotten and abandoned. God who heals, hear our prayer. We pray for the families of workers who have died from injuries or accidents. God who mourns, hear our prayer. We pray for more effective health and safety laws and their enforcement. God who cares, hear our prayer. We pray for office workers and those in the service industry who face unfair conditions. God who serves, hear our prayer. We pray for coal miners who suffer from black lung disease. God who suffers, hear our prayer. We pray for those with repetitive strain injuries from work in poultry and meat packing. God who supports, hear our prayer. We pray for farm workers and their families exposed to hazardous pesticides. God who protects, hear our prayer. We pray that our legislators would not neglect the vulnerable in the workplace. God who leads, hear our prayer. We pray that employers accept responsibility for changing unsafe conditions on the job. God of honor, hear our prayer. We pray that workers have the courage to take action when unsafe conditions exist. God of might, hear our prayer. We pray for the adequate compensation of those injured in the workplace. God of justice, hear our prayer. We pray for those who are unemployed and looking for work. God who provides, hear our prayer. God of the Exodus, you went to your people in Egypt, saw their pain, and set them free. Free them from the bondage of their oppressor, and set them free from the bondage of their You walked with them to freedom, walked with with all of us who struggle for dignity in the workplace, for a living wage, and for fair benefits. Bless all of us as we continue working to bring forth your vision, a vision of justice, and peace, and kindness, and compassion, and grace, and mercy, amen.